Well, as you're having a seat, if you would, grab your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. If you're new with us, want to say welcome. We are thrilled that you are with us. Uh, we are, are kind of standard... Oh, excuse me, Hunter, I almost, knocked, I almost knocked you over. Our standard sort of operation is preaching through books of the Bible, and uh, that's sort of our meat and potatoes, and so that's what we're doing right now through the book of Ephesians. And we come to one of these texts, one of the great joys of getting to go verse by verse through books of the Bible is that it's... Uh, is that you don't get to skip over difficult things. You don't get to skip over some of the, the weighty things. And so uh, as we're moving forward here in the scriptures, uh, we get to verses like Ephesians 5.22 that we find ourselves in that pastors oftentimes are like, oh man, this is a tough one. And so uh, it, it, it does take some explaining. It does take some understanding. It does take some, uh, some digging into. And so we're excited to do that this morning. We're thrilled that you're here. And so we're going to jump in. I'm going to read the verses, and then we're going to jump in uh, and look at what God's Word has for us this morning. Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Paul begins with these words to the church in Ephesus. Wives, submit to your husbands, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ... So also, wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he may present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so last week we started a series that we find here in Ephesians. We're calling it a series, but we're just continuing in the book where Paul begins to address where the rubber meets the road. So prior to this, Paul, the Apostle Paul has been talking about all the things that we've gained in Christ, our salvation, that we were chosen before the foundations of the earth. Uh, he gives us this mountaintop view, this 10,000-foot view of all the goodness of God that he's given to his people, the church, in Christ. And here in Ephesians 5, he sort of, he shifts a bit. It's a pivot. And he says, in light of all of these things, here's where the rubber meets the road. Here's where we begin to live out the glorious realities of our salvation, the glorious mysteries that he's done for us on our behalf. And he began last week, and he says at the end, he says that all of us together, collectively, corporately, are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so he uses this word submit, not in a negative way, not in a demeaning way. And he continues on this train of thought that he's talking about the church collectively submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And he continues this idea through marriage. Now he says, now wives, submit to your husbands 
as to the Lord, as you would to Jesus. And then he says, husbands, you not, you not only have to, it's, it's an even stronger word. Husbands, you die now for your wife. You lay your life down for her. You cherish her. You treasure her. You savor her. You die for her. And then he's going to say, children, you submit to the authority of your parents. And then he says, fathers and mothers, you submit to the authority of God as you parent your children. There's authority and there's structure. And then he's going to say, employees, you submit to your bosses and work. You work as unto the Lord. And then he's going to say, bosses, you have an authority of God himself, how you lead your people. So Paul is setting the groundwork and the foundation for the authority and the roles that we are to live out in our everyday lives as Christians. Now, what I wanted to begin with today is, since we're talking about marriage, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, my marriage. Ashley's like, uh-oh, I didn't know he was doing this. Tell you a little bit about how we met. Um, a little window into Ash and I's relationship. We've been married, it'll be 14 years this June. Uh, that's right, 14 years, can't believe it, it's going by too quick. And I met when I was interning at Woodlands Parkway Baptist Church, which is now Stonebridge Church, great church right up the road. And uh, I was a junior high youth intern there. And I remember I walked into what was called the Great Room. They used to have funny names for different rooms in churches. That was the Great Room. Or if you go back even further, it would have been the Narthax, right? Um, so I was there in the Great Room. And uh, I see Ashley there. And I was, I was like... I've never seen this girl. Who is this? And she's playing the guitar. She's taking a guitar lesson uh, from a guy that was going to our church as well. And this guy's name was Taylor Johnson. And Taylor was like this brilliant, like amazing guitar player. Taylor later went on to play with uh, Shane and Shane and Phil Wickham and like this genius guitar player. And so there's Ashley playing the guitar and she's learning a few chords from Taylor. And uh, unfortunately, Taylor's genius didn't translate quite as well with Ashley. <laughs> didn't stick. Sadly, I thought, man, look at this. She's like a singer-songwriter. I got to get to know this girl. <laughs> Taylor's training her up. This is great. Um, but here's this beautiful, godly girl, and I'm, I'm the junior high intern that just makes goofy videos and things like that. I'm like, I've got to, I thought to myself, I've got to introduce myself. And here was my dilemma. I was thinking, this, 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 the story of my life was Oh, that's Sean. He's just one of my friends. I was like, how can I not stay in the friend zone? I've got to make sure that I don't just be a friend. I didn't know how to do that. I just knew that I, I, I always just, that's what inevitably happened to me. I was just always the friend. And so um, I found out Ashley was working. She was lifeguarding at the pool that shared the parking lot with the church. And so I found myself swimming a lot that summer. Um, <laughs> I've never really swam that much to begin with, but I was like, I really, I'm going to be swimming. And so I swam a lot, and I would just swim over to where her lifeguard tower was. We'd begin talking, and I finally mustered up the confidence uh, to ask her on a date. And uh, we began dating. She, I, went, I was attending Texas Tech University. No hisses, Aggies, I'm sorry. And then she was attending Washtenaw Baptist University, and it was this uh, nine-hour, ten-hour drive in between. It was back when gas was 98 cents a gallon, so I was like, we can make this work. Um, <clears throat> and so uh, we did. We did the long-distance thing for a number of years through college. And I knew after I got to spend time with her that I wanted to marry this girl. She broke up with me, up with, up with me a couple times. It took her a little bit more convincing <laughs> along the way. But if there's one thing I am, it's persistent. Um, <laughs> Even when people don't want me around, I still show up. Um, so uh, I, I somehow convinced her. I knew I wanted to marry this girl. She, 
uh, her heart was evident to me. She loved the Lord. Um, she was interning uh, during her college years at an inner city multicultural church in downtown Little Rock, where she was ministering to the students there. We were both just had a heart for the ministry, and uh, God began to align our hearts together. And uh, as He was uh, calling us to each other, and uh, I knew I was like, okay, next step. I, you know, sell all my guitars, sell all the stuff, save up for the ring. Uh, and I knew I needed to ask her dad for his p permission for her hand in marriage. And so I just did the only thing I knew to do. I was like, well, I guess I just ask him to dinner. And so I called up Jocko, uh, who's right, sitting right here, called him up. You can ask him later. Uh, I was just nervous, trembling. I didn't know what to say. Uh, Jocko, uh, maybe you and I can sit down and grab dinner. So he, and he's like, I don't really do dinner out. Okay. Uh, <laughs> That's great. Well, I don't know. Maybe lunch. Uh, I, don't have, I don't do lunches out either. It's fair enough. Well, maybe we can talk sometimes. Like, yeah, I got a better idea. Let's go hunting. Yes, sir. Uh, he's like, I got a deer lease about 400 miles away. I'll give you a gun. I'll take a gun. We'll go to the wilderness. How's that sound? Yes, sir. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> Never been hunting before? Uh, I was scared, to say the least. Uh, so we drove out to the middle of nowhere, he handed me a gun, and then he left. No, I'm just kidding, that didn't go. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't wait, I asked him in the car, we had a great talk, he was very gracious and kind, and we talk, talked about my intentions to want to care for her and uh, want to love her as Christ loved the church, and, uh, and it's been a joy. Uh, I've made a lot of bad decisions in my life, uh, no doubt, uh, but praise God I got that one right, and God has been refining us and growing us, and it takes a lot of work, and it takes a lot of investment, and it takes... Um, depending on Christ uh, to build a marriage. And we by no means have arrived and we have a long way to go, but God in his grace is uh, having us take one step in front of the, the next and he's growing us. And here in Ephesians 5, uh, Paul gives us a pathway for marriage that honors one another and ultimately glorifies God. That's what he's longing to show us. Uh, I want to be a better husband every day. And this text has challenged me to be a better husband. Uh, God wants our marriages to be better than they are today, tomorrow. And this text challenges us to do that and helps us grow toward that. Culturally, we live in a day in which the foundation of marriage is crumbling. I think we can all say that. People are confused about marriage. People are confused about gender. People are confused about what marriage is and what it is not and whose say is right. People are confused and lost with regard to family. How is, what, what does family really mean? In fact, some people are outright hostile to the historic Christian view of marriage altogether. Some even churches are hostile to the historic view of marriage. Uh, Midwestern seminary uh, pastor, uh, professor rather, in his book called God, Marriage, and Family, puts it this way that I, I find helpful. For the first time in history, Western civilization is confronted with the need to define the meaning of the terms marriage and family. Until now, it's been considered uh, what has been considered, he quotes, a normal family made up of a mother and father and a number of children has in recent years been uh, begun to be viewed as one of several differing options, is the way he puts it. And so this should remind us that this is not just some culture war, as, as it's ten, tended to talk about, but this has spiritual implications. 
Paul's going to talk about marriage as a spiritual bed, bedrock and an illustration of something more wonderful than just the earthly realities. Uh, corporately, I think even a lot of us have lost our way and we don't know which way to look. Um, and it's also happened in the church. In fact, many would say that uh, the church has totally acquiesced to the cultural understanding of marriage. That the church, what was supposed to have been our greatest apologetic for an understanding of marriage and family and what it means to have a Christ-honoring home, the church has acquiesced to the culture and it looks no different in many regards, many would think. And so I believe that it's, uh, it's foolishness to think that we can have healthy churches apart from healthy marriages. So this is very important. And this is why Paul begins here after he begins to tell us of all the glorious realities that Christ has done for us personally and corporately as a church. Now he's going to talk practically in our marriages. Our homes give testimony to the outside world about the glory of Christ. And I think we desperately, all of us collectively, need to, I'll use this word, submit to God's plan for marriage, God's understanding of marriage, God's idea of marriage and family and the home and the workplace that he defines it for us. And so Paul is addressing all these relationships. He's addressing all these relationships that exist in our realities. He's, he's gonna, he says marriage, wives and husbands, this is what it means. He's going to say the home, children's and parents, this is what it means. We're going to talk about workers and bosses. These, are these not some of the most important areas of our everyday life? This is where we spend a lot of thought, a lot of time, a lot of implications here. These relationships are the substructures of humanity, of society. And incidentally, a lot of these areas are in the most trouble in our everyday lives. We struggle here, all of us. These are not easy things to do. And so that's why after Paul just got done telling us how we walk with God, he's going to say, these are the areas of grace that we live them out. In light of the realities of grace that Jesus has given to us, the, this is how we now walk in it and live in it. And in many ways, Christians, believers, you and I, uh, are to be a part of the work of restoring humanity back to the blueprint that God has called us to. We're to be part of that redemptive work as he grows us and changes us. So Paul's going to say this is what a husband is. This is what a wife is. This is what a mother is, a father, a child, a worker, a boss. And Paul is going to show us that our Christianity is not only just about our beliefs. It's about redeeming the times and impacting our realities that we find ourselves in today. Marriage, home, and the workplace. We're to be the light of the world. That's why he says we're to be salt and light. The salt of the earth, a city on a hill. We're to be this for the places that we operate in every day. Now, remember, as we jump in and we go through some of these, uh, we're going to hit... Uh, marriage this week, Easter next week, and then we're going to hit more uh, in-depthly 
uh, husbands in, the, in a couple weeks. But remember, setting this up, chapter 5, verse 18, talks about we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the first place that spiritual filling of the Holy Spirit has shown up in Paul's letter. And it has to show up in your home, it has to show up in your marriage, and it has to show up on the job. And he's going to begin unpacking this. And so if we don't succeed in this area in our marriage to be filled with the Spirit, to be living this godly life, if we don't succeed in being filled with the Spirit and living it out in the home and at work, then when we get to chapter 6, midway through, and Paul says, now put on the armor of God. And, there, and you're going you're gonna to have battles in the spiritual realm. The enemy is going to begin throwing darts at you. I think he's setting this up on purpose. He says, first and foremost, in these realities, in marriage, in parenting, and at work. And then, once we are living it there, put on the armor of God and go out into the world. But let's get it right here in these everyday arenas. Let's get it right in these places. And then we put on the armor of God to go out with the grace of the gospel. Because if we don't get it in these places, if we don't understand it, if we're not living it in these places, our words won't be taken seriously in the world in which we operate in. We've got to live it out here. So Christianity shows up in our everyday in our everyday. So last week we saw how Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ through being filled with the Spirit. Now wives, submit to your husbands out of reverence for Christ. Husbands, lay down your lives. Children, be subject to your parents. Fathers, be subject to God, not to provoke your children to anger. Workers, be subject to your bosses and work as unto the Lord. And bosses, you are to be submissive to God. Paul is setting up this foundational idea that submission and headship and order is the bedrock of the Christian life. These all flow out of 521. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. These are the areas we cannot fake it. Uh, these are the areas that we can't just fake it till we make it. This is where the rubber meets the road. Your spouse sees who you really are. You can't hide there. Your spouse sees you. Your kids see who you really are. Right? God says this is how it works. Ephesians 5 is desperately needed today. Here are some reasons. I think today uh, marriage is viewed as a social arrangement. We don't know if there's a standard. We don't know where it comes from. And because there's no authority on how it works, we've made up our own ideas for it. And because marriage is viewed as just the social engagements or a social arrangement, what we as a culture have inevitably done is now it's based on sexuality and it's based on fleeting emotions, how we feel. And those things dissipate over time. Feelings change over time, right? And so if we have banked and define our marriages and define our families and our homes based on our happiness, the target is constantly moving. Sexuality and personal happiness cannot be the primary motivation for marriage. I'm not saying you shouldn't have 
great sexual relationships or you shouldn't be happy. But I'm saying we are fickle and that target changes for us and things change. We have to have a greater standard. So marriage is not just about making you happy. In our culture, that's what it's about. And if marriage is not just about your physical pleasure and emotions, then what is it about? Well, Paul shows us here in Ephesians 5. If it's not just about those things, it's not just about what the culture tells us, and it's not just about what I wanted to tell me at that time or that month or that year, what is it about? Paul shows us that marriage is a great illustration. It's a divine illustration, and it displays the gospel. Marriage displays Christ and the church. So this illustration gives us the ultimate picture of marriage. Wives give us a picture of the church to the world. And husbands, according to this text, give us a picture of Christ to the world. So we have a beautiful picture of the dignity of women, of the beauty of women, of the splendor of women. And we have a picture of a sacrificial leader as a husband displaying to the world Christ's sacrificial love. Jesus says in verse 23, he is the head. Now, we, we, we get uncomfortable talking about these things, I know. But how is Jesus the head? Is he domineering? Is he a tyrant over you? No, he's a servant. He's a servant leader. And so when we talk about headship, we don't define it the same way the culture does. When we talk about order and roles, we don't talk, talk about it and define it the same way the culture does. Husbands, if you will, are to outserve their wives. Husbands in marriage are to be a picture of Christ's great love for his bride. Love your wife the way Christ loved the church and gave himself up. Husbands, so this is, a, this is a practical application here. Everywhere in the New Testament you read about Jesus, you have an application in your life every day. If you're married. Let's just love the church the way Jesus loved the church. Love your wife the way that Jesus loved the church. All right. Let's look at some of these. We're going to get into more of this in a couple weeks. How does, what are the verbs that Christ, that describe Christ's love for his bride? He loved her, verse 25. He gave himself up for her. He might sanctify her. He might cleanse her. He might present her. He would, he would nourish and cherish her. It does not crush her. It does not dominate her. He does not put her in her place. What wife would not want the love of their husband to be described in that manner. He loves me. He sacrificially cares for me. He gives up for me. He lays his life down for me. He wants to sanctify me. He wants to uh, present me in my very best. He nourishes and cherishes me. This illustration gives us the ultimate purpose for marriage, and it's namely the glory of Christ. Everything in this passage points back to Jesus. That's the point of it. It's not just about us. It points back to Jesus. Verse 22, when he gives instructions to the wife, it says, as to the Lord. This is an act of worship. It points back to Christ. Verse 25, as Christ loved the church, husbands. This is a reflection of Christ's love for you. As Jesus does the church, verse 29. Love like Christ. 
John Piper, my love, says it this way. Marriage exists ultimately to display the covenant-keeping love between Christ and his church. Marriage exists more for Christ than for you. This is crucial. Marriage exists more for Christ than just for you. There are book after book after book about dissecting communication, dissecting uh, all sorts of different things, right? The past, the, the different styles, the different personalities, different ways in which we're loved. Those are all helpful and they're very good. But the ultimate issue in marriage is are you surrendered to the lordship of Jesus? Will you submit your life to him in these areas and live out the good, God-honoring roles that are laid before us? This is the starting point for marriage. If the starting point is me and my feelings and whether I am being fulfilled, that's the wrong place. Marriage exists for Christ's glory. So our, worship is, our, our marriages are to be an offering of worship as we love each other, as we forgive one another, as we serve one another. It would be this aroma of Christ to the world around us. Uh, marriage actually begins at the very beginning. We're going to go all the way back real quick, and then we've got a couple more points I'm going to make to wives, um, and then we'll be done. But marriage goes all the way back to the beginning, the beginning of creation. God makes Adam. Adam is given dominion over the creation. He brings, God brings the animals to Adam, and he names them, and Adam sees there's not a suitable helper for him. If you remember the story, the beginning story. And so there's, there's no one there for Adam. And God says, Adam, it's time for you to lay down. And Adam's like, well, why am I laying down? Trust me, right? Trust me. It's going to be good. So he has him go to sleep. Adam doesn't know what's going on. And God forms the wife for Adam out of his very body so that now Adam will love this one as his very own flesh, as his very own. And then God brings her to him. Adam didn't make her. Adam didn't create her. He made, God made her and gave him to her. This is God's doing. He, he, she was from the Lord. And now he says, you treat her as your own flesh. I made her from your very own flesh. And so uh, while wives and husbands are equally valuable, he's made out of the side, Right? They have different roles, and Ephesians points out these roles. So the reason a man loves his wife has nothing to do with his wife and has everything ultimately to do with the sovereignty of God, because it's God's doing. A wife is not submissive to her husband, as Ephesians 5 points out, because that week he measured up and did something worthy of being respected and submitted to. She does this out of the sovereignty of God. So it's not a, if you measure up, I, it's not husbands, if you measure up, I'll love you. No, God has given me this gift, and now I am to steward it well. It's not, oh, I'll, I'll listen to, uh, and I'll be submissive, and I'll live in my roles because they have measured up. No, it's out of obedience to the goodness of God that we live out in these roles. That way, the target isn't constantly moving based on our emotions and how we've done or performed that week. That's not how Christ loved us. That's not how Christ loved us. 
before we go into marriage, um, I'll speak just for me, all guys uh, pretend that we've got it all together and that we're, we're respectable and that we've got a great plan and we're, we're going to do it this way. And then once you get married, right, it's like, oh, he's, he's flawed. He's, 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 he's a guy. He struggles and he's, right? And so it's not the measuring up that makes us worthy of love. It's the order and the rules and the structure that God has placed that we live in and operate in that keep us faithful and committed to one another. Otherwise, we vacillate because we will let each other down. I love her not because she earned it that week, but because it's the way that Christ has loved me. I respect him and submit to him, not if if he is respectable, because he will fail you, but because out of worship for Christ, I do this. God is the anchor of marriage. God has defined it. It has everything to do with him. It's his institution. He set it up. It's not up to opinion. It's not up to our opinion. He's the anchor of the soul. So it's not about earning favor. It's about honoring Christ, even when we fail, because that's how he has loved us. So Paul starts with wives in verse 22. Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. A few observations. Here we see this. This is a voluntary act of obedience. This is a voluntary act of obedience. The wife is told to do one thing here in the text, and that is submission. We hate that word. Remember, Paul's been using that word. He's going to continue to use this idea. This isn't a bad word. It's not a um, subservient idea as Paul is using it. It is a voluntary act. Notice the wife here is not subjugated by the man. She's not put in her place, right? This is a voluntary act. This is a voluntary act. She does this out of reverence for Christ. This is because of Christ. This is a role that a woman enters voluntarily at marriage. It's the vows. Remember the vows? This is what the vows are. Do you take this man to be your husband? Will you love him? Will you honor him and obey him until death do you part? This is voluntary. Say, I will. Now, the word submit here is the same word that the scriptures use for government in the scripture, meaning the recognition of a divine institution and divine origin, and because of the authority of it, we willingly place ourselves in a manner of respect toward those that are over us in authority. It's roles. So if the woman doesn't want to be submissive, there's nothing a man can do to stop her. Right? This role is lived out voluntarily as an act of worship to God. Not out of the worthiness of her husband, but out of the worthiness of the glory of Christ. By a Christian wife who recognizes the nature of marriage and places, her, or pla- places herself in a position of respect toward her husband. Secondly, she does it unto Christ. Verse 22 continues on. That means as you'd honor Christ... As you love him, as you trust Christ, you would do the same, respect him, and honor your husband in that same fashion. So practically, wives, just on a, on a real just ground level, how you speak to your husband in private should be with respect. 
How you speak to your husband in public should be with respect. How do you speak about your husband to your friends should be with respect. Um, quick side note, maybe if you're not married, uh, if, if you're a woman in here, ideally you would thoroughly investigate the, the guy to make sure he is uh, uh, someone who loves Jesus and it, this is, would be an easy role for you to take, right? That loves God more than himself and thus my submission to him would not pose a problem. So practically, wives and husbands, as, it, as this is being fleshed out, do not act independently of each other. We love and we serve together in all things. We talk about things. We're, we're for each other. We're one flesh together. There's no rogue areas in our lives. We're not independent from one another. Now, when we talk about submission, when we talk about these things that are hard to sometimes navigate through because we just don't like that word, inevitably there's, there's always some questions that come up that say, uh, well, does it mean this? Does it mean that? So let me quickly respond to a few things that maybe in your mind are racing. And when you think about this, uh, a lot of times we go to the negative and we think, does the man subjugate, right? I said, no, that's not the case, but let me just address them here clearly. A few things submission is not. Submission is not inequality. We've said that. It is not inequality. We know that. We can see that even in the Trinity. The Trinity has the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is an authority and a submission even in the Godhead. The Son honors and submits to the Father, and the Spirit honors and submits to the Son. So this idea is not, uh, and we would say the Trinity, they're not less than. They're equal. Secondly, it does not mean that a woman is silent. The Bible says the heart of the husband trusts in his wife. So she, she speaks up. It's not a silent place by any means. When she disagrees with him, she can disagree with him. She's not just supposed to be quiet. That's not, the, that's not submission here. It's in any relationship. It's how we disagree. This isn't just for wives. This is probably for all people. So wives, just maybe a tidbit. If you disagree with your husband, it's probably not the best way to come up to him and say, hey, idiot, uh, I can't believe you did that, you bonehead. You should rethink it. Because now all of a sudden, that person feels attacked personally, not just their idea. It's the way that we all need to approach conflict because we mutually submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So my wife does this a lot, even if I have a really bad idea, and she's brought it up. She says, hey, can I add something that maybe you haven't yet considered? And I'm like, oh, man. She's usually right. That's in all relationships. This Paul's wanting to help us here. And when I don't listen, I just look like a jerk. So it's really a great form of manipulation just on how you... So tidbit right there, right? But if I'm loving her as Christ loved the church, I'm going to serve her. I'm interested in what she has to say if we're really in this together. I will listen lovingly to the wife that God has given me. I've heard it said that, yeah, husband, you may be the head, but she's the neck that moves you. I said, that, I like that. Third, submission doesn't mean that you don't have freedom. Doesn't mean that at all. 
You have much freedom in Christ. You have much freedom in the church. You have much freedom in the gospel. Your husband is, you're not subservient to him. Fourthly, this is important. All these are important, but it does not anticipate abuse. Husbands, that could never be the case. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and was the savior of the body of Christ. Therefore, husbands are to lay their lives down for the good of the bride. That is the opposite of abuse. Being submissive never tolerates abuse, ever. That is not something a godly husband would do. So you do not, that is not what the scripture is teaching. It does not anticipate or tolerate abuse. Uh, It also does not mean it's always smooth sailing. Couples collide oftentimes, don't we? It happens all over the Bible. The Bible is replete with marriages of husbands and wives colliding. Uh, But what it does mean is that when we're living out these roles is that we seek reconciliation uh, and repentance, first to Christ and then to each other, so we can forgive one another. When, When we mistreat each other or we get on the same page, right? When we have a fight, husbands say, well, I'm to love you as Christ loved the church, so I forgive you. Wives can say, I'm to honor you and respect you, and so I can forgive you, and we can come together. If we lose our sense of the roles that God has established here, you lose the anchor of marriage, and it just ends up becoming about how we feel. Um, And our marriage uh, is at the mercy of the winds of emotion and feeling. Many of you maybe grew up with parents that maybe have been like that. Maybe you find yourself in a marriage like that right now. It is difficult. Sixthly, marriage does not mean that you are wives not developed and thrive as a person. Uh, We submit to Christ, all of us. Has he ever wronged any of us? Does he put us in a position where we will not flourish and doesn't want to see the very best for us that we would flourish in the kingdom of God? Is he not for us in that manner? This is the same way of what God wants in a marriage. So husbands, you should be the biggest advocate for your wife's flourishing in her passions, in her uh, roles serving in the church, in her passions outside the church, outside the home, and in the home. You should be her biggest advocate, like Christ is for all of us. Seventh, it does not mean you're a compliance in evil. Um, I'll have you reference Ananias and Sapphira, if you're wondering about that. Some may say, uh, we won't, I don't have time to get into that. You're not a compliance in evil. You don't have to go along. If your husband is leading you towards something that is evil and wrong and against the nature and character of God, or even against the law, submission does not mean you go along with that. You speak up. Speak up. Tell a pastor. Tell the, tell the authority. You tell someone. Because that, that husband is not leading you toward Christ. When two people are living this out in a healthy way, this is when marriages thrive. This is when a marriage thrives. We're almost done here. The last thing I want to I touch on is 
this illustration that Paul gives to us in marriage as he's helping us understand roles, as he's helping us understand the home, as he's helping us understand parenting in a few weeks, as he's helping us understand work and bosses, this illustration particularly about marriage with Christ and the church provides amazing hope for marriages. Amazing hope for marriages. Even hurting marriages. Why? Because Christ died for the church. Which displayed her sinfulness, but on top of it, he poured his saving grace. His saving grace. The biggest problem in marriage is our sin. It's the sin of husbands and the sin of wives. And then we sin against each other, we sin against the Lord, but the ultimate solution is the grace of Jesus in the gospel. Because marriage is not just a social construct, because marriage is not just about my happiness, because marriage is not just about sexuality, but it's deeply rooted in the lordship of Christ who is gracious to you and has poured out grace upon grace upon grace, you have great hope in your marriage. Marriage is the union of two sinners, two sinful people that are inevitably going to wound one another. Now, while sinners are forgiven positionally before God when he has saved us, we have remaining sin practically, don't we? And we struggle all the days of our lives with it. And that creates conflict. That's why we need a savior that's described in Ephesians 5. That's why we need marriages that live out this kind of forgiveness and love and hope and grace that is not based on the performance of our spouse, but based on the sovereignty of God. Husbands and wives need the grace of Christ. So church, where do you look when marriage is difficult? Where do you run to? Some of us run to alcohol. Uh, some of us literally just go run at Villa Sport maybe, right? We have our escapes. Some of us go hunting. Uh, Some of us just work more and more and more and more and more, and we bury it and we don't address it. We run from it. Some of us go to pornography. Some of us, there is a myriad of things that we can run to to distance ourselves from the work that God wants us to do and see come to fruition in this place in marriage. That's the wrong place to look. Ephesians 5 reminds husbands and wives, it says, first look to Christ. Let him be the anchor. Do it unto him. Let him be the rock that guides you. Let him be your understanding. Let the grace of the gospel of Jesus first cleanse you and that out of that place you can love and serve your spouse in such a way that would bring honor and glory to Christ. Marriage is intended to point us to Christ. We need the gospel every day in our hearts and in our marriages. That's what we gotta believe. And finally, very last thing. This is the hardest one. One of the hardest ones. You can't change your spouse. We we don't have that in us. We don't have the power to change hearts. God does. So we live out the roles in which God has given to us in such a way that would bring him much honor. And in doing so, God will begin to bring healing maybe in places that we see fracture. 
because Christ is enough. Christ's grace is enough in our lives. Christ is enough even in our marriages, even in hurting marriages. So Jesus is our great hope for marriage. He sustains us. He's the one that made it. He's the one that preserves it and helps us persevere in it. Let's pray together, church. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. And God, I just ask for your help for each of us. God, I want to ask now for help for the wives in this room. God, would you pour out an extra measure of grace on their lives, God, that they would be able to live out the roles in which you've called them, a role of beauty and dignity and understanding. And Lord, when when the outside world even looks in, God, they would just see the glorious realities of the beauty of the church displayed in a godly wife. God, I pray for husbands in the room for an extra measure of grace. They'd help them be servant leaders in the home. You'd help us to love our wives as Christ loved the church and that we'd lay our lives down for her. God, help us in our church um, where marriages are hurting. Lord, we need your grace. Thank you that we're reminded that marriage is a big deal to you and that uh, our marriages have hope. So Lord, I pray we would lean 